Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Tony Oben. Tony is a Ghanaian and has a distinguished extractive industry career. He was in the industry for over two decades. His experience cuts across both solid minerals and hydrocarbons. He is the past CEO of the Ghana Minerals Commission and former CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Mines. He is currently the founder and president of the Africa Institute of Extractives based in Accra. This is an extractive industry think tank. He has written several papers on the industry and contributed a chapter in six books. I have had the pleasure of knowing Tony for quite some time now in a project in which we participated at the IFC at the World Bank. Tony, it's lovely to speak with you today and thank you very much for your indulgence. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, it's really a great honor. So I wanted just to not be presumptuous and ask a basic question. Why are relations between mining companies and host governments a subject worthy of uh, discussion? Well, I think um, the relations are very important uh, in, uh, you know, with respect to a mining company that is providing, let's say, the uh, the capital investment to extract um, a resource. And then the government that, that sort of um, is the, the, the host of uh, these uh, uh, resources. So obviously to be able to deal with um, the, the process that leads to the extraction, you need to have a relationship with uh, government. And that's very important. Government needs investors, whether local or international, but uh, international investors and local investors also need uh, government. So that, that's something that, that must always occur. Mm. So really, it, it's a question of recognizing that in some way, there's, a, there's an inherent or an implied partnership because uh, in the extractives, you are bringing investors and governments uh, together. And that out of that is a relationship that needs to be managed. Now, I mean, there's relationships, Tony, and then there's relationships. My assumption is that ideally what we want here are relationships that exhibit certain characteristics in order for this inherent coming together to provide the right results. So in your experience, what are the characteristics of good relations between host governments and mining companies? Yes, uh, I, and, and I would actually touch on good relationship. Um, you need to recognize, there should be a mutual recognition that the two parties need each other. So government must recognize in the first place that it needs the investors or the investment that it doesn't have. And then investors must also know that they are investing their capital for, uh, for, for returns, it's not for free. So that, 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 mutual understanding is very important. Secondly, the, the, there must be transparency. You know, uh, any relationship that is not based on transparency is not sustainable because it will not be long when 
one would see the the the, the downsides of uh, not opening up or being opaque. So I think it is extremely important that that relationship must be transparent. Okay, again, uh, a good relationship must have, you know, the mutual sharing of benefits, mutual benefits sharing, that whatever is the outcome, there must be fair uh, sharing of the outcome. So if you are an investor and um, you think that, look, you have the resources, so you are investing and you are taking everything and giving the, the, the government or the representatives of the people uh, a, a, the only a pittance, it will not be too long when the people themselves will start asking uh, directly for their return. So, I mean, this is very, very important. And then finally, I believe that a relationship that is based more on partnership is uh, a relationship that is more sustainable. So a good relationship must be founded on partnership. And I believe, I believe that that links to the first point that I made, that there should be this mutuality, mutual recognition that we, the two parties need each other and not one dominating the other. So, so you've made a, a lot of very uh, insightful comments, uh, including the importance of uh, mutual benefit, transparency, uh, and understanding of each other's needs and, and aspirations, and then of course, partnership. So I'm, I'd like to follow up on a, a couple of those things. So this mutual sharing is, is of course, probably at the top of that. Uh, the question really, Tony, is I always struggle with, of course, it's conceptually, it's understandable what we mean by mutual sharing, but practically, what are some of the features? What are some of the things that speak to fair sharing? in the mining space? What should we look for to recognize that there's fairness here? Okay. You know, fairness in an abstract sense is something that makes you feel that you have not been cheated. It makes you feel that, look, you have put in some things, your partner has put in something and uh, the outcome you are both satisfied. So that in my, my view would be uh, fairness in, in, in sharing. Now, but, but in a more technical sense, I think it will be based on the evaluation of your contribution to uh, the extraction of these resources. And then the resource that you're coming to take, the value of that. So if you know that um, there is a capital, which is a, a physical capital, which is a, a resource, which is there. And um, this resource is going to give you a, a certain amount of outcome. And um, you take much more without considering your own contribution uh, than the one who will bring in the, 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 the capital, I mean, the resource. I think that would be unfair relationship and or unfair sharing of the benefit. So uh, 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 there's a need for the two parties to honestly, and I believe I have to underline the word honestly, um, uh, sit down and then calibrate their contributions that are coming up and then honestly decide that because you are bringing in X and I'm bringing this after uh, the, the, the extraction, this is what I get. So, so I, I think it, it must be based on honesty and um, mutual calibration of your contributions. I mean, the, the contributions uh, that, that, that each party is bringing on board, in this case, investor and government. 
So I guess like every relationship, each partner plays to their strength. But by the same token, if you look at the economics of that project, each party must then share proportionate to their contribution and perhaps in, in commercial terms, also proportionate to risk. I wanted to, to come back to the notion of transparency. Here's why. So, you know, as you and I know, when conducting business, whether as a private company or a government, there are certain things that you might say are sit in the space of confidentiality, which is to say, if placed in the public domain, they could have the unintended consequences of one, either undermining the very relationship or two, uh, hurting the commercial or even sovereign interests. How do we balance transparency with the need to protect confidentiality? Well, I, I think the, the simple answer will be honesty. If the, and, and I'll come back to confidentiality. If whatever the so-called confidential or uh, proprietary information should hold, the other party knows that holding that proprietary information is good for the two parties. Then, I mean, because the, 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 the item to be held confidential is honesty, is very honestly determined, then, then there will be no problem. However, I think the overemphasis on confidentiality is uh, gradually becoming a cake because uh, in, in this day and age where information is what everybody is seeking for and people are putting out information, I think uh, we should gradually recede from keeping things too confidential and making them um, um, and, uh, you know, uh, transparent so that people will understand why a certain decision has, be has to be taken in a certain way. So that, 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 that's a challenge. I mean, we learn sometimes that uh, in the evaluation of, of let's say, uh, an asset or maybe a mineral resource, uh, we understand that sometimes there could be under-evaluation. And so it, it, it depicts that the outcome will not be what it's really uh, going to receive, which would be the basis for which returns are shared. I think this is where the problem comes because at, uh, in, in, in the long run, the, the confidential issue may come up, may become public, and then it may expose some situation that may be embarrassing for both parties. So yes, I know that there are uh, some issues that might be uh, kept confidential, but I also think that uh, over time we need to be moving towards a more uh, transparent and less confidential uh, uh, management of, uh, of these natural resource information. Because after all, most governments are just holding these resources in trust and, and it's for the people. So um, I am of the school that um, um, things must be more transparent than confidential. You make an interesting point because what you're really saying is that to the degree that uh, information cannot hurt the relationship, there's no value in considering it uh, uh, confidential. And, and, also, and also that if it is confidential, then even the nature of its confidentiality minimally must be disclosed and understood so that you don't simply say it's confidential but you, you explain why it is confidential and you demonstrate why it would hurt either party. 
Uh, now, I, I want to, to look at, uh, you know, multinational companies specifically. In Ghana, for instance, you have Newmont. Uh, and, and I was wondering, when multinationals think of strategies for engaging uh, African governments, how should they frame these uh, relationship management strategies with different governments on the continent, given that different governments politically and culturally come from a different um, uh, perspective? Yeah, that's, that's a very important question. And uh, I, I, I think that, um, as, you know, these multinational companies must look at where they are coming from, the kind of political jurisdiction that they come from, where there is a, a strong demand for openness, strong demand for information, uh, and strong demand for the respect of human rights and all that. So when you're coming to Africa, it, it will be expected that you would uh, practice same. Um, but but of, of course, there's always the allegation that that doesn't, and sometimes even the reality that that doesn't happen. So I think these multinationals must begin to treat uh, African government as, uh, you know, in terms of what they do or who they represent, as equal as uh, their Canadian or American uh, counterparts. Um, because um, the, the, the continent is no longer static. Uh, people are trying to understand what's going on. Um, uh, people are I mean, on the basis of social media and other media are understanding the practices um, um, of these multinational companies. And we are also gradually building expertise uh, to understand uh, some of these things. So I, I, from, from the multinational point, they must come from um, uh, the knowledge of their own source regions. And then for the government uh, in, 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 in Africa, we should also be prepared to present experts. We must, we must invest in getting people to understand and to compete and to, to question some of the information that come from the multinationals. Because obviously, whilst they are uh, business people, they are often looking for uh, the, the maximum returns. Uh, that's what they, they say. So, um, but, but you must also look for your maximum returns. And therefore, there should be an optimum returns rather than the maximum maximum. So, so in, at the end of the day, I believe that uh, government must build a strength to deal with multinationals who come because the lack of it is often the, the bane of uh, the, the, the effect of this relationship. So I, I would strongly advocate that there should be this respect uh, coming from where you come and what you do, bring the same culture, the same ethics down. And then we must also as Africans prepare to meet them and, and meet them on the basis of expertise, not on uh, just cup in hand and begging. So I find what you're saying interesting because on, on the one hand, you're saying multinationals must treat African governments with the same regard as they do in the, their countries of origin. They cannot be uh, one standard for interaction with European countries or American or Canadian countries or Chinese countries for that matter and then another one for African governments. But you're also saying that won't be sufficient. The Africans themselves must up the game and place themselves in a position that they can not only constructively, 
but are, you know, effectively manage relations with uh, foreign uh, investors. Now, of course, it's one thing to talk about um, foreign investors, but, you know, they do have a certain culture themselves, to your point, based on where they've come from. So to the extent that a country like Ghana has a range of investors, some coming from uh, the United States, some Canada, uh, some coming from China, etc. How does that play out when you are a single government, but dealing with different uh, multinationals coming from different jurisdictions? So how, how should uh, uh, governments balance managing a range of relations with companies coming from different countries with different cultures? Right. Well, I, I think that that should even be an advantage, especially when you have uh, different companies that come and they are looking for your resources. Now, I, I think that government must, Ghana in, in fact, must be ready to meet with these uh, uh, multinational companies, having you know, been in the resource uh, management area, I'm talking about gold mining for over a hundred years, I'm sure we should have built some competencies. We should have built some experiences to be able to meet with, with them. And uh, of course, sometimes you see African governments, including Ghana, very anxious to have investments. And therefore, the, if care is not taken, they approach the whole relationship on the basis of race to the bottom, uh, as some people say. They, 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 they would go and say, look, you bring this amount we are going to lower the, the conditions for you so that you'll be seen to be investing in our area. There are instances where because of multi-party uh, competitions, um, uh, you know, government wants to show that in my time, investment rose from this level to a, another level and all that without going deep, deeper into what, what, what was the quality of investment? What was the return that, that, that one uh, would get after those investments and all that. So, so government, the, the African government must have a long-term view of the, the, of the development of their natural resources. Once they have this long-term view, uh, then they can approach multinationals, you know, from a very firm ground because after all, they are not in a hurry to, to uh, uh, compromise. Um, I think that is one of the, 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 and for me, one of the biggest challenges is so, the competition to attract investment and just because of that, lowering the requirement, and sometimes uh, the standards for, for them um, um, uh, to, to, to invest. So I think that's the key point that I, I would want to say uh, on this question. So uh, as of, uh, I think it was 2020, uh, Ghana surpassed uh, South Africa as the region's leading gold producer. What do you think this tells us about the state of uh, the investment climate in the two countries, especially with respect to relations between investors and, uh, and host governments? Yes, uh, in fact, I, had, I have had to speak on this uh, uh, you know, sub subject before 
and I was uh, I was uh, joking that this was just a, a, a bragging right. Ghana is the top gold producer in in Africa, so it gives us the bragging right over South Africa. But I I also think that um, we need to look at the resources available, the reserves, and all that, and see if we can sustain that. We are happy, and we hope to stay up there for a long time. But technically speaking, um, uh, we we need to look at the uh, investment levels that is able to bring their resources in the, the, the various countries. You can see that other, other, other countries are coming up, Mali, Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, and, and Tanzania, they are all also actively coming up. So um, yes, you would see that there's a, there's a bit of a shift uh, in investment uh, in, in, in West Africa. There's gold invest, mining investment, exploration a lot more in, in, in West Africa and Ghana having created the conditions for uh, uh, over a long period of time. Um, I, I think it should not indicate that Ghana has come of age and therefore it's going to sit up there. Um, I, I believe that South Africa, may, once they start doing a few things right, it is, it is possible they can come back to the top, especially given the, the, the the resource bundle that they have. Other countries that are less explored may also uh, come up because Ghana has been heavily explored and, and, and uh, so we know most of the location of the gold in this country and all that. So um, I think the good news is, is very good news. We've, we have sustained that for two or three years and we hope to continue, but um, this, was, this is just a bragging right. Uh, we need to know what is the returns to Ghana how does it benefit Ghana? How much has it influenced employment in the country? How much has it influenced uh, infrastructure development in the country? Uh, and, uh, and all that. So uh, yes, I'm happy that we are producing about 130 tons or so of gold per annum, and South Africa is producing marginally below us. Um, uh, it, it, the, the impact is more important than the quantum of gold that we are producing. Yeah, you, you, you are right about that because uh, it's one thing to produce, it's another then for the benefit to the country and then of course to the citizens to be proportionate to that uh, uh, you know, level of production. But I think you are also right in recognizing that uh, no country can rest on its laurels. For one, uh, it, you know, it's a function largely of the stock that you have. You are not going to just become a, a major producer uh, because you have good relations. You have to have the reserves in the first place. And, and more importantly, uh, you know, how you then build that to attract more investment in exploration to maintain and sustain the pipeline, I think uh, is, is a worthwhile point to, to, to remember. But of course, I mean, Ghana wasn't called historically the Gold Coast for nothing. Uh, I think it's, 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 it's important to celebrate the moment, but I think we must also remember that Ghana has been there before uh, in more ways than one. And, and that, that region uh, is, is, as you say, including your neighbors, uh, Mali and Burkina, uh, uh, is a region that is generally well endowed with uh, results. But we wish uh, Ghana well, but more importantly, we wish the people of Ghana well and that they, they benefit from this, both in terms of economic, but also in terms of the, the branding of the, the country and the country's ability to leverage this newfound uh, status. 
Uh, Tony, in mining, as you and I know, we talk about the notion of the social license to operate. And this is in relation specifically to communities in which the mining operation uh, takes place. In view of this, what is the ideal balance between relations with communities, national politicians, the elite and technocrats? I mean, who, who is the one that is in the driver's seat and harmonizes all these relations with investors? Right. Uh, I, I think uh, the driver's seat changes at particular times. I'm sure the, the people at the community, they know how to drive in the community. So when it comes to the community, they, they, they jump into the seat. And of course, when it comes to uh, doing all these high level uh, arrangements and policies, uh, government would, and regulations, uh, government would drive into the seat. But just back to the, the question specifically, I, I think it is extremely important for investors to recognize the importance of social license to operate. Somebody told me that it's becoming outmoded to think about social license to operate, and that. But I, I still believe that uh, communities which host the uh, resources must be able to always align with uh, the the the, the uh, operators or the investors who are uh, you know, extracting their resources. It's always very important for peace. For, for for harmony, for sustainability, and, and all that. Because again, at the level of government, you have the regulations, you have the paperwork that are easily uh, construed and, and, and uh, maybe uh, signed and executed and all that. The tax arrangements are there, you do that. But there are people who sit closer to the resource and from which if, if they don't shift their positions, if, for instance, they are on a piece of land and uh, you need to mine on that land and they don't move from that piece, you cannot mine and you need to sustain it. It's not something that you, you do and then you, you get away and then you said, okay, I have bought my social license to print. I have signed it and we are okay. Um, it is something that has to be continued. It has to be consumed on regular basis. So um, it, it, the, the, in terms of specific distribution or balance of, of this power, I think that at, at the level of, of, of um, uh, arrangement between the, the, the uh, investors uh, for regulations, for policies, for all this high level stuff, obviously government will take the lead. But at the level of oppression, the, the area where actual activities take place, that license must be, be balanced. And how does that happen? It happens by the community realizing that they've been treated with respect. Sometimes just merely recognizing that they own their resources or they sit on their resources is a big, big, big move. You know, just recognition and, and treating them with that respect is very important. And the other thing is they, they seeing some benefit from, um, from, from the activity. For instance, recently, um, Goldfields uh, sort of uh, they, they they developed they asphalted a forty kilometer road from I'm sure you are well you know Takwa where uh, my state place uh, from Takwa to Daman asphalted the community had never seen an asphalted road in that area and so they were excited that oh look now we see a benefit uh, uh, for ourselves um, most of the people around didn't have electricity about ten communities or so. They were con connected with the national grid, 
and then they, they, they also had water and all those things. That is not enough, but at least that indicates, that is a, a, a recognition that um, the community is part of the operations. And once that happens, it must be consumed all the time. It shouldn't be just, you know, it must be restocked all the time. It shouldn't be like, um, we've done that and therefore that's the end of, 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 of the road. Relationships must be kept in constant, um, you know, reshaping, constant renewal. So I, I think um, more of that must go to the to the to the communities once government has finished signing all its papers with the with, with the uh, investment companies. Mm. Now, uh, when I read uh, literature and uh, the press, my sense is that. Um, there is uh, a difference in the way that what you might call Anglo-Saxon companies and Chinese companies uh, relate to host governments. Is, is my observation correct? Are we seeing a fundamentally different construct in terms of uh, the relationship between host African governments and uh, investors from China in the extractive space? I, I should think so. Um, I, I think it's, it's quite obvious that uh, um, the companies from uh, Western uh, Hemisphere, from the Western Hemisphere, uh, I mean, they, um, from Europe and uh, Americas, they have a different attitude. They have a, uh, a different culture, business culture, from the, those from, uh, let me be specific, from, from China. Uh, I, I didn't want to restrict myself to Anglo-Saxon uh, areas, but uh, let me just do the hemispheric way. And, and, and uh, I think the companies from the Western world tend to have um, more formal relationship leading them. I mean, they, they tend to be more formalistic tend to be wanting to deal more uh, with, with formal structures uh, like governments, the, 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 I mean, the um, local authorities and all that. So, uh, but of course it's changing. You can see uh, a significant change over, over the period, but long before now, their attitude was more dealing at the formal level. And they also tried to be a bit more transparent uh, relative to, our uh, friends from from China, and uh, and so on, and the Chinese. Um, okay, let me just step back again and talk about environment because again, the Western world are more sensitive to the impact of the activities on the environment. So um, you see that from the Chinese are much less uh, interested in in the environmental side of things. Um, they are more interested in dealing at the micro level. They don't, they, they, they largely would want to deal on relationships based on individuals, based on personalities. Um, I, I know it's also changing because they, 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 they probably are learning from the existing practice, especially from Ghana. Uh, so, so, so whilst you find the Western companies generally, and I'm being general here, more formalistic, more interested in making things open and transparent, more concerned about their impact on the environment. The other side, the Chinese, would be more on 
dealing with relationships based on individuals. I call it micro relationships. Uh, they dealing more uh, with getting the outcomes, make sure how quickly can we get the outcomes. Um, and, and so that, that, that is sometimes disturbing because you know, with, with inadequate attention to the environment, for example, you see that the long-term effect of the activities could be uh, uh, quite uh, embarrassing to all of us. So I think it is important. I mean, and Ghana is open to every investor. You know, if you're a good investor, the, the, the government and the state is open to, to receiving you. Um, but it is important that the same standard must apply to all investors. Um, I believe it, it, it's a work in progress. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, positive that um, there could be some convergence in, in that area. Yeah, what you're saying is quite interesting because I think that there's a, a, a level of uh, accuracy to your observations. And, and, and I'm more interested in uh, you know, the root cause of these differences. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that the, the somewhat more formal and long-term view and more environmental sensitive uh, profile of companies from the Western hemisphere is because of the history and the uh, rather strong voice of uh, NGOs over time. And then the listing requirements on them that can be quite onerous where in China, you don't have the same level of NGO scrutiny on companies both at home and abroad, nor do you have uh, you know, large listed mining companies. It, could, could I be correct that you know, this short-term versus long-term view stems from where the historically the perspective uh, uh, of the Chinese companies comes from and that of the uh, companies from the Northern Hemisphere? You're correct, Sheila. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, the, and you know the, the political culture of the Chinese and then the political culture of uh, um, Western Europe, North America and all that. There's, there's more freedom of speech. There's more the, 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 um, the room for NGO uh, participation and demanding a certain uh, um, uh, standard to, to apply. So I, I think that's exactly what we, we, we see. Um, sometimes they find it strange that um, certain requirements are, 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 are put on them. For example, uh, in Ghana, you have most of the mining companies, the top mining companies belonging to the Ghana Chamber of Mines. And then uh, you see that some of the Chinese companies don't see the need for, for, for that. Obviously, if you're there, you'll be paying, um, you'll be paying fees and uh, you would have to, to also um, respect the requirement of the chamber. And so, because, and, and because it's not compulsory, they, quite strangely, they're checking out of the, the system. I don't know whether they, they've gone back. So I think it is just the culture and the history. Um, the Western world has been, you know, as you, as you rightly mentioned, the requirement for, for, for going into the stock market is quite onerous. And there's a major uh, environmental requirement uh, which I don't believe exists in the Chinese uh, uh, space. 
So I think that is the challenge. There's a challenge. There's a history, is a culture uh, uh, that, that, that has uh, sustained over the years in this part of the world. And of course, in the Western part as well. So that, 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 there should be a convergence. I, I know that, I don't know whether any of the mining companies belong to the, the International Council uh, on Minerals and Metals, ICMM, I, I mean, um, I know there are some Japanese companies which are members and all that. So they, 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 they are strict requirement. The ICMM, for example, have strict requirement for its members to, to, to behave in a certain way when they go to uh, wherever they, they, they operate. So that doesn't appear to exist in the in the Chinese um, uh, realm, so I don't know. Um, that's really the issue, and I believe there should be the, 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 there's a need for some convergence, so that the same standard applies, the same um, environmental requirements apply strictly, the same everything uh, applies. Whereas, and, and this is a key point, whereas the Chinese are willing to talk to individuals, maybe individual ministers, individual chiefs individual this and that. Um, the Western companies would want to talk to the ministry. They would want to talk to the regulating agency. They would want, well, you know, they, they are more formalistic and all that. So I think, I think that's, that's, that's the, I don't know which one is better, but obviously when you're talking to institution, dealing with institution, it's much better than dealing with individuals. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm reminded of something you said, because I think in some where we've gone full circle because one of your earlier comments was that uh, the governments must uh, step up to the mark and take a leadership role. And I think here, that is a, a case in point where it is the government that must say, if you are going to conduct business in our jurisdiction, these are the rules of engagement. Because if you leave it to the investors, uh, those from uh, the Northern Hemisphere will go one way. Those from the East will go one way and those from the South. And in the end, there is no coherence. But, but I think that is the point that you were making. And on that note, uh, I just want to take a moment and thank you again for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast, Tony. It was wonderful speaking with you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Sheila. It's always a pleasure speaking with you.